Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is March 26th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in BC. And Lewis in BC. So how are you liking the uh, the BC weather, my friend? Well, I uh, I flew over you, so I didn't get the good stuff in the Okanagan. But uh, you may be surprised to learn it's been raining off and off in Vancouver. Or sorry, off and on in Vancouver all weekend. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, who, who could have predicted that? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it's, uh, it's nice to come out to visit the brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their two little ones. It's, uh, Nice way to spend a weekend. It was the brother-in-law's birthday or earlier this week, so we decided to come out and spend the weekend with them. And they live right downtown in Vancouver. And uh, you actually knew the area where where they are, but it's mm -hmm. just off English Bay. So it's uh, I mean Canada. You can't see the view behind me, but Lewis, you can. And it's uh, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's quite it's quite nice here. It's uh, there is just so many high-rise condos around, though. It's it's very much a concrete jungle here. But that does yeah. bring me to a WestJet story. <laughs> Fantastic. Now you have one. Now I have one. It's not nearly the hellscape that you had to go through coming home from Las Vegas. But it's just uh, yeah, yeah, one more, you know, chink in the armor against the airlines in general. Because I'm told that, neither, that the other big airline isn't much better. But we... Our flight was supposed to leave at 5.45 a.m. on Friday morning from Saskatoon. So my wife said, yeah, well, we're supposed to board 5.05. Let's be there two hours early. So, okay. So we're, we're up and we're at the airport at three in the morning. Security hadn't even showed up yet. But that was that all went smoothly. And we're, we're sitting there ready to board. And uh, I think at four o'clock, we were already at the gate. So boarding was fine they, they started at five o'clock so we were all boarded sitting on the plane and at 5 45 when we're supposed to be taxiing out uh pilot gets on the on the intercom and says yeah there's going to be a bit of a delay because they have the wrong tail number for this flight which is like the like a, a unit number or whatever thought they identify the plane so obviously what happened was thursday night the plane must have come into saskatoon pilot and crew all go to their hotel while the ground crew gets the plane fueled up ready to go somebody in the office in calgary must have inputted the wrong plane number so it was westjet abc instead of cba or whatever so then when they loaded up the guys the baggage handling crew won't load the, the baggage on the plane because as far as they're concerned it's the wrong plane so i see them buzzing oh, back and gosh. forth to the co cockpit and they're talking back and forth and yep no we can't load it because it's not WestJet ABC and uh so then these say the pilots on again well yeah we're gonna have to get this straightened out with with office and a bit of computer stuff here and but no problem we'll be uh we'll be on in the air in no time and we thought well we had an hour and a half layover in Calgary so okay no problem well it was 45 minutes for them to get their little computer glitch input figured out and finally get the plane loaded so we could actually take off. So we got into Calgary and anybody who flies WestJet through Calgary, which I guess is anybody that flies WestJet because you always go through Calgary, where we deplane in Calgary, 
you've got to book it pretty much clear across the entire airport to get to where WestJet's terminal is to, you know, get on your connecting flight. So we actually got there just in time. We got to our, our gate for our connection just as they were starting to board. So, <laughs> okay, so uh, thankfully we did not miss our flight to Vancouver, but yeah, it was close. Then even that one, we got on the plane and we were delayed 25 minutes because we had to wait for the de-icing, which you experienced. So, but geez, I'm glad we don't have to connect again in Vancouver. We can just bloody get this mess over with. So, uh, yeah. So hopefully today's flight home goes a, a little more smoothly. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you'd think it would, it would take like five minutes to change a tail number on the, on the computer, not 45. I mean, I, or even longer than that, because you know, they, they knew longer than that, but how, why does it take so long? I mean, that, that just blows my mind. And, and so, I mean, this is just incompetence, uh, putting in the wrong tail number. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't sound like much, but boy. When you when you add it to the list of all the things I experienced and the things that my friends experienced and 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 that over the past six months with WestJet, uh, it's just a, a, a it's just it, it just reeks of incompetence. And I mean, I, and I've been dealing with this with the bank lately too, with CIBC, because I'm trying to trying to. Uh, uh, Add my bookkeeper to my bank account so that she can, she has access so she can pay the bills and stuff like that for for my business account and uh it we've been working on this for a month trying to get it to work because every single time we go in to see cibc they say oh yeah it should work now and we and we get home nope doesn't work and <laughs> so it's just and now they're saying oh well we didn't know that they discontinued that policy and that you have to get a different type of bank account to be able to have that service and it's been a month of this before they discovered that this doesn't work anymore oh, and and now they're uh and now like the 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 business specialist is supposed to call me and every time he calls me it's not at the time that he said he would call me and i'm and i'm busy with a customer or like with one of my clients or or i'm you know not expecting the call at that time so i'm doing something where or i'm out of service range or something because i wasn't expecting it at that time so it's just it just everything just seems to be compounding and it's just it's just incompetence all around us Yep, it really is. And uh, well, that's actually a good good theme for the show today. So um, listener Josh had actually sent us a, on our, on our to Facebook Messenger an article about Vancouver, about the number of fires that were going on in the downtown east side. So um, we're, we're going to get into that one right away. Thank you for that, Josh. And a good thing I was in Vancouver to follow that up. So on the show today, Vancouver is burning. Ottawa is bubbling, St. Thomas is buzzing, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's start where you are and talk about the fires in the downtown east side. Yeah, that was really something else. Like, uh, According to the article, it was a CBC article that said there was 370 fires this year already, and most of them were propane tank or related, 
And the Vancouver Fire Department was getting on the city of Vancouver about it, saying, hey, you've got to do something about this. So uh, yeah, kudos to my brother-in-law. I had him take me for a little walking tour down there yesterday. And uh, so I could see for myself. And there was definitely, uh, well, it's a different world down there. I will say that. And the, the fires are being caused because people will get a little propane tank in their little tent in the tent city to for warmth, but also probably to for whatever other purposes they need fire. And yeah, I mean, they're living under a plastic tarp, which, what do you know, catches fire pretty easily because of the heat. And yeah, it's, uh, I got to say, at least Vancouver is classier than San Francisco because at least the people were pooping in the alleys and not in, not right on the sidewalks. So uh, <laughs> I guess kudos to them, but it was, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I mean, all, all kidding aside, at least, uh, you know, in the people down there are, it's, it's tough. I think you're finding people who are homeless, whether by choice or, or not, and they just kind of end up congregating in that one area. And I mean, there. Were, I saw a lot of people that were completely just, you know, drained of humanity there, and you know, people with. Well, one dude just pulled his pants down and stuck a needle in his leg right there on the sidewalk in full public view, and yeah, there's all kinds of people. There's one dude who was smoking a crack pipe right on a bus bench, and I mean, some the people get down there, and I think whether they're in the drug scene or not, they just end up sort of getting into this community and then yeah you, you see all kinds of tents up up and down Hastings and apparently the city can get involved and tell them to move they only have to move 100 meters and then they can set up again so it just shows that they've moved and uh, there's actually one tent right outside of the the condo here and my sister-in-law just said, yeah, I mean, people will phone and complain and the city will come down, they'll they'll move and then they'll be back in a week. And so then the cycle just kind of rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And so that's probably what's going on along East Hastings as well. And when we were there walking yesterday, there was there was a police presence and there was a couple of officers just sort of walking along, kind of like in the Aaron Gunn documentary, Vancouver is Dying. So they would come along just sort of welfare check, poke some guy, you still alive? Okay, carry on. And then, and then just check, hey, how close is that propane heater to your to the edge of your tent and whatever? And it's it's a hopeless situation for the police. They really can't keep up with all the stuff that's going on down there. And it's uh, it's a sad situation. And I feel bad for the fire department because, I mean, if you get a fire in one tent, well, there's tents on either side of it, so you're looking at a huge disaster if uh, if it gets away on you and in those kind of conditions, it can get away pretty quickly. Yeah, and and probably spread to the nearby buildings. Well, that's another thing I thought about. There was uh, one one block in particular on East Hastings. There was tents and tarps up in front of every building, and there's all these businesses here. And really, the only space that's clear is there a doorway so you could get in and out of these businesses. And I just thought, a, who wants to go to those businesses when this is what you've got to deal with? And I mean, b, how can these poor business owners run a business like this it's just uh it's terrible yeah well and in that case i mean i i would suggest that those business owners just stop paying uh property tax um until this gets dealt with because 
I mean, the property tax in Vancouver, even on East Hastings, is pretty high. Like, like, and I mean, really high. Uh, like, you've got property tax bills that are as high as like as some people's annual rent. You know, I mean, it's or their mortgage payments for the year. That is what people are paying for property tax down there. And uh, and I mean, if they should just stop paying property tax until this is dealt with, because they're not getting the service they're paying for. Um, they, I mean, this, this is a, it, it, it's one thing to see it on camera, right? It's one thing to see it on like Aaron Gunn's Vancouver is dying. It's, but it's another to be there in person and actually see this for yourself. Uh, I've seen it for myself before. I mean, I've lived here, you know, most of my life, uh, except for a 10 year spent, uh, stint in Alberta. And I mean, I've gone down to Vancouver multiple times. I used to live in Burnaby when I went to school. Uh, the you, you would go down to East Hastings. And I mean, I've been to East Hastings at different, you know, intervals. So, you know, like when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, when I went to, you know, uh, when I went to school down there. And then when uh, I took my wife and kids to go to uh, Stanley Park and we accidentally went down East Hastings. And it's it, every time you go, it's worse. There's more tents. There's more homeless. There's more drugs. It's just worse every time you go. And the answer to this, according to the provincial government and the uh, municipal government of Vancouver, the answer to this is to legalize the drugs and to make them more available. And and I just I can't follow that logic. I just can't because. You've got BC who's doing this, and then you've got Alberta who's doing the opposite, where what they're doing is they're actually putting money into rehab and uh, uh, treatment centers. And Alberta's overdose death numbers have, have been cut in half in the last uh, three years, I believe. And in, during COVID, same, the same thing that we're dealing with in BC. And in BC, our uh, drug overdose deaths have uh, doubled in that time. Um, so one of us is doing it right. And it's not BC. No, that's right. And I mean, and you can see it when you're down there. I mean, there's, and you talked about this before, I mean, the vending machines dispensing free drugs and the city of Vancouver has city workers down there and they're just sweeping garbage up. They're not even bothering with the people there, they're just trying to make it a little cleaner. Well, you've got all this graffiti and all these bloody tarps and tents all over the place. And yeah, I mean, I saw that dude sitting there with his crack pipe right on the, the transit bus bench. And I thought, well, that's uh, that's really helpful for tourism. Now, bear in mind, Canada, for those of you that aren't familiar with Vancouver, there is a rather upscale touristy area called Gastown, which is, what is it, two blocks off East Hastings? It's not, it's not yeah. very far. Because when we were on our little walking tour, my brother-in-law and I he said, okay, well, let's just turn here. And then within two or three blocks, suddenly we're in Gastown and all these trendy stores and restaurants and all this vibrant activity. It was like, okay, well, that's, uh, you go from one world to the other. And just confining it to the certain area of downtown Vancouver isn't helping at all. All you're doing is getting people to congregate more in that area and take advantage of these these free street drugs that are oh they're not street drugs these are the cleaner version of those drugs well 
you're not helping you're not reducing harm you're prolonging the suffering and it's it's disgusting it then i think you even said it before on this show it's really inhumane that the government would just sort of perpetrate the problem yeah and i think it's inhumane to think that you know that these people have a human right to live the way they're living no no they don't you know a lot of these people they don't want to live this way they're hooked on drugs and they uh and they've kind of lost the ability to to choose a different lifestyle um because they're so racked with drugs and be and and being you know face planting on the on the sidewalk from being so high and i mean you you probably saw that people laying face down on the sidewalk and um you and you walk by and you're wondering god is that person dead or or are they just high right like are they just passed out from being so high right but uh it's it's a crazy thing and to think that the answer is to make drugs legal so that we can get a quote unquote safe supply of drugs is ridiculous because there's no such thing as a safe supply of drugs when you're talking about meth and uh, and heroin and cocaine and all of these all of these drugs. Oh yeah, maybe they're not laced with fentanyl, but it doesn't make them safe. I mean, these drugs are dangerous by themselves. I mean, you can easily overdose and die on these drugs by themselves. Uh, so I mean, this is not. This is not a matter of, of it being a human right to live this way. No, nobody has, nobody should live this way, period. Um, not to mention the fact that this is a blight on the city of Vancouver. This is, it's, it's a, a horrible black eye. And the way we're handling it is an even bigger black eye. And the fact that it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse should be enough to say that we're not doing this right and the problem is is that we've got all these people who are hired to do uh to take care of this homeless problem to to try and solve this pro homeless problem but these people all are making six figures and there there is no incentive for them to solve the problem because if they solve the problem their job goes away and and they're making six figures doing this job so their incentive is just to keep this job going so that they can make this for the for the rest of their career and get a good pension and there's no incentive to actually cure the problem if there was an incentive to cure the problem like say everybody who's doing this job once you cure this problem you get 10 million dollars a piece this problem would be solved like that well that's true yep it would it would go away in no time i mean and you're, you're absolutely right there is no incentive to to end this problem and they've they've got countless old hotels that they've bought and repurposed to house addicts and well i saw a few different ones yesterday who have got pets and some of these people they're I mean, they, they're actually good pet owners they say like oh, i'm not going into some place without my dog and you know they they panhandle and their dog is actually well fed and they eat nothing because they're too busy smoking crack and 
it's just, it's sad. It's like, okay, so you're a good, responsible pet owner and good for you, but you're totally destroying your own body while taking care of this pet and you won't go into rehab because you don't want the pet to get surrendered to the SPCA. So they choose to keep living in the tent and then the cycle just kind of perpetuates itself. And yeah, no, it's, it's really sad. It's, uh, and there was all kinds down there. I was actually, uh, they, the people down there actually, in a way, they get a sense of family. We, we uh, walked by, there was these two guys there, and I have no idea where, where it started. It was just one guy's like, hey, you, know, you need to get a Band-Aid on that cut to uh, to keep it clean. Oh, yeah, I got a Band-Aid. Yeah. Well, if you don't, give me a call. And like, okay, well, um, good that you want to help each other's, you know, needle prick wounds or whatever it was that uh, that happened to be bleeding. I thought, well, good that at least you got someone watching your back but i'd feel bad for the the first responders who've got to get into that neighborhood because there is uh yeah it's just not a pretty sight at all and you said it right that it's a blight on the city of vancouver because you've got gas town right there you go you know the other direction and you start getting into where all the corporate buildings are in downtown vancouver and it's just uh it looked like a war zone. That's that's probably one way to look at it. I mean, all the graffiti, all the the tents up, they're just you know unkept. It was the yeah, it was quite the experience. I don't recommend anybody come down just to see that, but if you happen to be in downtown Vancouver, wow. Yeah, and and like you were saying, I just wanted to touch on one thing where you said that they aren't they're not allowed to take their pets to rehab, and but for a lot of these people, that's their only friend. And Good point. And it's their only family because their families abandoned them because of what they're going through and, and everything. And, and, you know, understandably so, but they've got this dog or, or whatever that, that they, that, that, that they can't separate themselves from. So don't make them put them in rehab and let them take their animal with them. And maybe you'll have success. Because when they get clean, they'll be looking at this dog thinking, I can't disappoint my dog. I can't disappoint my best friend, uh, you know, again. So maybe it would help. So I don't know. But I mean, what we're doing certainly isn't working. In fact, it's exacerbating the problem. Alberta, what they're doing seems to be working. But we'll go, no, no, no. <laughs> we're not. No, Alberta doesn't know what they're doing. They're un uncaring rednecks out there they don't they've they've got it all wrong we're we're we care we care so we're gonna let them do what they do no no we've got it all backwards yeah well that's a good point about the the, the animals too but yeah let them take their dog into the whatever hotel whatever rehab center that is that they're going to that's uh hadn't thought of that but that that is a really good idea because you're right i don't want to let my best friend down so uh yeah i'm with you there so all right let's go on to the city of ottawa from here because uh well well the government continues to let us down day in and day out i discovered a tweet this morning it was from justin trudeau in 2011 and said bev oda must resign this 16 dollars glass of orange juice is completely unacceptable so i thought oh well, Justin Trudeau must be ready to step down himself because now that we know the PMO confirmed, he stayed in that $6,000 per night room at the Corinthian in London for the Queen's funeral for five nights. Well, he I'm guessing he's going to be writing a resignation letter 
for tomorrow because by his own rationale, he needs to resign. Yeah, isn't it funny how back in 2011, this whole thing with Baboda was such a scandal and it was it was over a $16 glass of orange juice. I mean, yep. this is this is unbelievable that that was that was such a scandal. But the fact that the PMO or the, the prime minister stayed in a six thousand dollar a night room and every other delegate from the Canadian uh, uh, party that went over there stayed in two thousand dollar a night rooms um, is it's not phasing anybody. But this is this goes back to that thing that I've always said, right? That I, and I've said that multiple times on here that Canadians have an extremely high tolerance for liberal corruption and incompetence, but they have no tolerance whatsoever for Canadian or for conservative politicians. And it doesn't matter what a liberal does; they're forever giving them second chances third chances, 47 chances in Trudeau's case. But uh, because it, it, I, I don't, and I don't know why. I mean, they, I think I think Canadians are in love with the word liberal they, they, or progressive. Like they, they want to see themselves as these, you know, virtuous people or whatever. But, but the thing is, is that from my experience, there is nothing virtuous about anything that liberals do or have done and they are riddled with with corruption i mean every time a liberal government gets into power there immediately there's corruption immediately there's scandals it's yep. like they don't even it's like they don't even wait they just jump right into the first scandal they can get their toes in. They, it's like they they move into their office in the West Block and they and they just walk around the halls going, anybody got a scandal I can join? Anybody got a scandal? Like, <laughs> and and everybody's just sticking their hands up going, oh, I've got one, I've got one. It's, it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, except that, you know, I go back to what Rod Giltaka said on our show and that they're they're bad people. Well, they are, and actually, we'll we'll get into that because the uh, the latest scandal of Chinese election interference. We've yep. Justin Trudeau has uh, sent his mandate to the special rapporteur David Johnston, and well, we actually read the letter from Justin Trudeau himself, and I gotta say, for Justin Trudeau's perspective, for, from his perspective, it's well written in that. The average person isn't going to read between the lines and see exactly what, you know, what is meant with what is said. Like I was reminded of being back in English 20 with Mr. Gurak when he would pull apart every story and for all the hidden meanings. And you and I did that with Justin Trudeau's mandate letter. And and sometimes you got to read between the lines. But Canada, that's why you've got Lewis and I, who both been actively involved in the political scene for over three decades. So we're... Uh, we're here for you. So I'm just going to take an excerpt of that mandate letter. Now, uh, this from remember, this is from JT's own press release. And the rapporteur is, quote, tasked with assessing the extent and impact of foreign interference in Canada's electoral processes. Note the word processes. Nothing to do with political parties, but it's all about the electoral process. 
Later in the letter, it says he's, his job is, quote, to determine what the government did to defend Canada against electoral interference. Well, again, it's don't investigate the government, investigate the interference. Let's move down a little no, further. Well, well, actually, what that is saying is, is it's not even investigate. It's just make a list of everything we did right. Actually, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, then, like it, there's nothing in there in that line that says, you know, find out what we did wrong or what we could have done better. It's what did we do right? Yeah, it, right, exactly. Yeah. And then further down, a quote again, working with NSICOP, that is the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians, and NSIRA, the National Security and Intelligence Review Agency, he will identify any outstanding issues requiring attention with a view to uphold Canadians' confidence in our democratic institutions and electoral processes. Where in there does it talk about political parties or the governing party or even parliament? Where does it even talk about, uh, you know, the financial donations, the you know, any of that stuff. I mean, it, it's not talking, there's there's no mention of what actually should be investigated. You know, there's no mention of, of what actually happened. Um, I mean, we know, I mean, we posted the donors list for, for Justin Trudeau's writing on our uh, Facebook page. I hope the listeners have gone and looked at that by now because it it's quite damning. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, you look at the dollar amounts right down to the pennies of what people donated and where they were and where they uh, were donated from. Um, I mean, it's there is so much that is just blatantly in our face. And we and we there's a and there's a big part of this population of of our country that doesn't even want to believe that is real. They, they just look at it and they go, yeah, that doesn't prove anything. No, no, it does. It proves a lot. And and we've just told the rapporteur, again, stupid names for stupid jobs, uh, the that that he's just to kind of ignore that. Yep, absolutely. And in that list we put up on our Facebook page is seven bloody pages, uh, line by line, donors who all have what appear to be, you know, Chinese, East Asian sounding names, all of them at or just under the uh, maximum legal contribution limit. And you're right, they're matching up figures to the penny, but no, no, nothing to see there. Let's just see what the government did right to help yeah. uh, you know, avoid election interference. So he's yeah. got till May 23rd to recommend any mechanisms or transparent processes such as a public inquiry to investigate this matter. Now, I said last week, the rug has already been lifted up and they're ready to sweep this under. And I'm so convinced of that because he's, uh, because here, listen to this one, Canada. Another line from Justin Trudeau's letter is that David Johnson will submit regular reports to the prime minister, which will be shared with leaders of the opposition and made available to Canadians. And it will be in that order. He will report directly to the prime minister, you know, the person that he's investigating, the person who who gave him this job. The prime minister can then redact the living hell out of whatever he sees, should he choose to do that. Then the leader of the opposition can get their hands on it. And only after all of these elites have seen it, can you and I, the peasants, 
get a look at what might be left, which will yep. be squat. Yeah, there'll be a whole lot of black. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, he's got till October 31st to complete that end of the report, which, as far as I'm concerned, is, is useless. So um, let's move on to our friend Hong Dong. Now, he <laughs> just recently stepped down as a liberal MP and will now sit as an independent while he's trying to clear his name. His name that just happened to appear in a story with the uh, Chinese Consular General in in Toronto, the same Chinese Consular General who sent busloads of Chinese students to Han Dong's nomination in Don Valley North to make certain he secured the nomination, under threat, allegedly, of not having their student visas renewed if they did not jump on that bus to go and vote for Han Dong. And, well... The latest on Handong, and I'm sure you've heard this by now, Canada, is allegedly in 2021, he suggested to this very same consular general in Toronto that it might not be the best idea to release the two Michaels at that point in time because it would benefit the Conservative Party because the one thing Aaron O'Toole did not flip-flop on was his stance on China, and he was definitely not pro-China as allegedly some other MPs were. And I just think, A, that's inhumane. And damn it, Lewis, you're right again. These are bad people. Yeah, no, they are. And I mean, I, I like the headlines that I've been seeing out of left-wing newspapers on this story because, uh, you know, you've got the Globe and Mail, you've got the Toronto Star, CBC, and they've all got the same headline, which is, uh, Han Dong uh, advised China against releasing the two Michaels. And so, I mean, it's, this is something that I think is kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A red flag in this whole debacle because he is, I mean, I don't know so much if it was him, uh, you know, supporting china's position on anything or if it was more you know keep these two prisoners in your in, in your jail over there getting tortured or whatever the hell was happening to them uh just keep them there longer because it's better for the liberals if you do um anybody advocating that you know a foreign government communist government especially a communist government you know, hold Canadian citizens longer because it benefits their political party. Uh, that I'm sorry, but that makes you evil. It does. And I think that what you just stated is exactly what his intentions would have been should this prove to be true, is that, yeah, I mean, he was not saying it because he's necessarily had any malice against those two gentlemen. It was more that well, this benefits our party, so yeah, let's just keep this up. Now, whether it was actually him directly asking for this or just suggesting it would be a good idea, doesn't matter. It's still evil. It's, just, it's, it's evil. It is. It's evil. I mean, there's no other word to describe that. It's evil. I mean, it's politically politically beneficial if you guys keep torturing our citizens. Like, that's it's evil. And he should be charged, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against that by any means. So, um, 
I think Justin Trudeau, in his effort to sweep all this under the rug, is hoping that the Joe Biden visit of on Thursday and Friday, with mainly just Friday, will you know, somehow give him a bit of a pass because now they said, oh, we're going to close Roxham Road. And so as of yesterday, Roxham Road is officially closed and those migrants will be turned away and sent to uh, a, a port of entry crossing. Well, by Justin Trudeau's own words, we could close Roxham Road 31 days after Pierre Polyev asked for it to be closed in 30 days, by the way. I just think that's kind of funny. Um, Justin Trudeau's own suggestion may come true that they might just find a different illegal entry to enter Canada. So I'm not sure there's really much of a win on that one, but I'm sure that he's going to do his best to try to try to distract Canadians and say, look, see, look, I'm solving the problem. We'll take an extra 15,000 migrants through our regular ports of entry and we'll close Roxham Road where we had 39,000 cross last year. Well, I don't imagine that's going to help much. No, uh, I mean, it's a good first step. I do want to see these illegal crossings closed down. And yeah, I know they'll probably just move over, you know, 500 meters and and start crossing in a different spot but it's kind of like the homeless situation in Vancouver right like you, you tell them to move and they move but uh it'll pro- that's probably all that's going to happen but I mean you got to make a statement you can't you can't keep saying no you can't have the RCMP acting as bellhops at at Roxham Road, which is exactly what they were, by the way. If you watch any of the videos, the RCMP members were just acting like bellhops. I mean, they would take their luggage and carry their luggage to an RCMP cruiser. Like this wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, them just welcoming them into Canada. This was them actually physically helping them and carrying their luggage for them. (laughs) This is, it's, it was embarrassing. And so, I mean, this is a good first step, but I mean, we need to make it, it's, this is more about making a statement than anything, which is, you know, we close down this illegal crossing. You guys try and open another one, we'll close that one too, right? And uh, because this, this is not, you, there is no such thing as a refugee from the United States. I'm sorry, there just isn't. Uh, it's not like the United States is persecuting people for their you know religious beliefs or or their uh their race or anything like that it's just not happening i'm sorry it's not so there's no such thing from the freest country in the world there's no such thing as a refugee no exactly right so hopefully i guess i'm we should probably applaud justin trudeau for making that decision hopefully it actually does solve the problem and you're right if what we, how we need to follow it up is okay you cross 500 meters down the road we shut that one down too and so on and so on and so on across the country but they i should don't also know be, that they'll do that they should also be arrested and uh immediately extradited back to the u.s um that's just how it should be period because there's no such thing as a refugee from the united states so if you if you illegally cross into Canada, you get treated like anyone else who's trying to illegally cross into Canada for nefarious reasons. I mean, you're trying to cross illegally into Canada because you're smuggling guns or drugs or or anything like that, then you get arrested because you're doing something illegal and you know you're doing something illegal. So these people are doing the same damn thing. So they should be arrested and treated the same way. 
And yeah. hopefully that would help curb this activity. Yeah, with any luck. So, uh, all right, let's move on to our last topic of the day. And that is that Volkswagen announced they're going to be building an electric vehicle battery plant in St. Thomas, Ontario. And that decision came with much fanfare and uh, for the Francois Philippe Champagne, he's the industry minister, right? Yep. Okay. Um, he was on with Vashi Capello's touting how fantastic this was for for Canada and it shows what a EV superpower we're going to be. But what he wouldn't answer, Lewis, was how much money did you and I, the taxpayer, put into this project? And Vashi Capellos, to her credit, she pressed him over and over and over again. And he just said, well, we can't say right now because there are other deals we're working on. And, but we, you know, we had to come to the table. We were part of the solution and every other, you know, euphemism he could possibly use. So we don't know exactly how much money was put into it, but we did do some research for you, Canada. There was actually, an, surprisingly, a CBC article, and they talked to a gentleman. His name was Greg Mordu. He was formerly the general manager of Toyota's Canada or Toyota's Canadian operations and Canadian manufacturing operations, sorry. And he said it was probably going to be in the area of he said it'd be $1 billion just to start the bloody thing up in the first place. He said, chances are that the government probably put in about 10, he figures. But they, and he said, but based on the investment review or what is, what is it called? Inflation Reduction Act. That's what it was in uh, the States. Yeah. He says that number would have to be a, probably a minimum of 10 billion because there's lots of jurisdictions in the U S where it would cost that to set up and the, the Americans are pouring truckloads of money, government money, into these plants. So I thought, okay, let's take it that it's $10 billion. Now, St. Thomas has what formerly was a Ford plant that made the Crown Victoria sitting there. So they could likely retrofit that plant. And it's supposed to create 5,000 jobs. So let's say it's $10 billion. Did the math for you, Canada. If it was $10 billion and the average wage for your workers was going to be $100,000 over the next 10 years, which is probably going to be a little bit of a high figure, but let's use it because it's easy on the numbers, Five, 500 million a year. So if you have over 10 years, well, that's $5 billion and good chances over that 10 years, I don't know, I would say it probably wouldn't even cost another $5 billion for retrofitting materials, inputs and upkeeps. So if the figure is $10 billion, and that's what Mr. Mordu suggests it probably is, Volkswagen is not paying one red cent for anything to do with this battery plant for a decade, minimum. That's criminal. Yeah, yeah. and I believe it was Vashti Capellos who said that she was told it was $15 billion, which makes it even worse. I mean, this is a private company, and this is corporate welfare. And, totally. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is what everybody gets their arms up about when it comes to the oil industry. But because it's going to be the EV industry, it's OK. Um, until they find out that they've got to dig up half of our friggin landmass to get enough minerals to make all the batteries we need. Like this is this is this is just as or if not more damaging to the environment to build these EV batteries than it is to take oil out of the ground. 
and well, I'd say more so. Yeah, and and I mean they're they're talking about you know basically basically fifteen years of operation for free if that fifteen billion dollar number is accurate. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's that's obscene. And then of course, look in the background of it. Now, yes, Canada has a lot of the critical minerals necessary to build these plants, but you've got the uh, Impact Assessment Act, which means, okay, so are all these mines now going to have to do their gender impact studies and their upstream and downstream emission studies and take 10, 15 years to possibly get approved? No. So in the meantime, where is all these minerals going to come from? Well, they're not going to have to pass any of that. Um, and the reason is because this is the uh, liberal agenda. They're, they're, this, this EV battery plant is, you know, it's, it's, it's doing, it's accomplishing something that the liberals want to accomplish. So they're not going to have to, just like that cement plant in Quebec didn't have to. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think so. I think the mining operations are going to get up and underway pretty quickly. I don't think you're going to see anybody get their applications rejected on environmental reasons. Um, the uh, but you, it, it's just this is the liberal way. If we, if it's something they want, they'll they'll turn the other cheek to everything that happens. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, just think about it. I mean, the company that they just gave ten or fifteen billion dollars to. Uh, to build an EV plant in or EV battery plant in Canada is the same company that was that was fined. I believe it was like five billion dollars or something because they were lying about the emissions of their diesel engines. Uh, I mean, they had when when they when you plug in the the OBD two monitor. Uh, 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 a uh, reader into the car, it would change the uh, the mapping of the engine so that it would produce less CO2 and less uh, particulate matter coming out of the tailpipe. And then when you unplugged that that reading device, the mapping would return to, you know, burn like polluting more. I mean, Volkswagen has the largest fine in history for environmental, uh, like it's the highest environmental fine of all time for a car industry, for a car manufacturer. And, and we just gave them 10 or $15 billion. So that just tells you about, you know, the liberals morals and ethics here is that, you know, it doesn't matter what they did They're what they're doing is what we is, is something we want done. So we're going to turn the other cheek to what they've done in the past. We're going to, you know, give them as much taxpayer money as we can, by the way, because that's, you know, any money that the government gives out is our money. We paid it to the government um, or they're borrowing it from China. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, it, it's just, this is, this is just the way the liberals do business and they always have, and it's disgusting. And it's got, a, it's, it's time that it ends. I mean, I'm sick and tired of it. it it's like, I can't, you know, there are, there are times when we're on this show talking about the things that the liberal government is doing and that Canadians don't give a rat's ass about that makes me go, why are we doing this show? Like, it just makes me, sometimes I just want to quit. 
I just like, what's the point? Like we, we expose all this, all this stuff about, about things that the prime minister and the liberal government is doing. And, and it just doesn't seem to matter. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, and honestly, I mean, I'm sitting here beside myself now that there's not going to be a gender impact study on the the fine women of Timmins, Ontario. I'm I, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm 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 quite concerned for their welfare. I mean, uh, are they going to have to to move to Sudbury when they start getting harassed by minors? I mean, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy, and and you nailed it on the head when you talked about the corporate welfare because that's. Uh, I don't know yet if there's been an, exa- an example in this country where corporate welfare has actually benefited anybody but, well, the, the company doing business. I mean, like in this case here, if we're spending 10 or $15 billion to Volkswagen, we just laid out the math for you. Um, Volkswagen isn't putting money into the economy. You and I, the taxpayer, are. And that's how it goes with corporate welfare anywhere. And I'm against corporate welfare for the oil patch, for construction, mining, any kind of corporate welfare, because it means that we, the taxpayers, are just subsidizing the companies. So you, as a small business owner, are subsidizing your competition. It's uh, It just creates a completely unlevel playing field. So if you can't make the business case in your own country saying, hey, we've got a competitive tax regime, we've got well-trained, educated workers, we've got you know quality infrastructure in place, and if that's not enough, then you know what? I'm not prepared to offer up my tax dollars to bring you here because we're that just means we're bribing you more than the next guy is. And I don't know, I just can't, I can't justify it. No, no. And it's, I mean, unfortunately we've got, uh, you know, a country to the South of us that does a lot of this. Uh, they do a lot of corporate welfare. I mean, they, they subsidize the corn industry. They subsidize, uh, they subsidize all kinds of industries and those subsidies actually um, when you've got, you know, a country like the U.S. where they are such a, a large food producer, um, they subsidize all the food production too, which is why, you know, food coming out of <clears throat> food that comes out of California or Florida or wherever is cheaper than the food we can grow in Canada is because they subsidize it all but with with taxpayer money in the states um they also subsidize the corn industry but by by subsidizing the corn industry it's not food grade corn this is like the corn that they use to make ethanol and and uh uh that goes into gasoline which is actually not good for your engine uh there's a law in the in the u.s uh and canada that says that you know ethanol needs to make up 10 percent of 87 octane fuel, uh, 89 octane fuel is 5% and premium is 0%. And the reason the pr- premium has zero ethanol in it is because ethanol is not good for your engine. It, it actually damages your engine. It actually uh, makes your fuel economy worse. So if they wanna actually allow fuel economy to get better and engines to run better so they pollute less, you take ethanol out of the gasoline. That's the first thing you do. And but they subsidize it down in the states because they've got this law, and uh, but they are subsidizing it, which is which is uh, uh, you know incentivizing farmers not to grow food but to grow this corn for ethanol production. So I mean there there's 
and and then you've got you know governments down in the states that they they subsidize all these uh, uh, corporate um, ventures when it comes to building plants in their states or uh, in their cities. I mean, you saw New York and and that like battling over getting an Amazon distribution center where they were like going to give them a free property, like they were going to give them free land in the city of New York to which is the most expensive real estate in North America uh, just to build the distribution center there. I mean, this happens all the time in the States and we have to compete somehow. And it's unfortunate that this goes on because this is our, this is our money that could be going to, you know, hiring more doctors or fixing our roads or, or something like that, that, that actually benefits us because like you said, you know, 15, 10 or $15 billion into, you know, Timmins, Ontario for a, for an EV battery plant is not actually infusing money into the economy. It's just taking our tax dollars and spending it. That's not putting money into our economy. Our economy actually won't even see much of a benefit, you know, from outside investment for 15, 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and exactly. at that point, at that point, Volkswagen's going to be saying, okay, well, battery technology's changed. We need to retrofit this plant. So come on, taxpayers, pony up. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. And uh, I think we'll even wrap the show up on, on that one. I mean, yeah, great for the folks in St. Thomas who will have the jobs, but not great for the folks in St. Thomas and all across Canada who are paying for it. So. Or sorry, I said Timmins, Ontario. I meant St. Thomas. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's not not a big deal. All right, Canada. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, it is Tony, and I will be back in Saskatchewan next week. <laughs> and Lewis out here in BC as well. So, and I'll be in BC next week too. So, uh, <laughs> have a good weekend, Canada, and good night. Good night.